As the voice of its day's youth, Press Gang was the show that saw a group of teenage journalists work crazy hours to put out the Junior Gazette. The show inspired a number of would-be journalists along the way, like me, and launched a host of stars' careers, including my guest for today. After breaking hearts as Spike Thompson, he's gone on to become a much sought-after filmmaker after directing Oscar-winning films Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman. So I'm privileged he has joined me to reminisce about Press Gang and talk about his life after that thing he did. It's Dexter Fletcher. Dexter, hello. Thank hello. you so much for joining me today. Welcome. I think for a moment there mm. was a small chance that I'd be speaking to you in your wardrobe, mm. um, but I <laughs> see so you've got a bit more space now. Yeah, I managed to get myself out of the wardrobe. I thought that was unnecessary in the given circumstance. If I'm recording a McDonald's voiceover, I can understand why they'll want me to deaden the sound with all my vast amounts of clothes, but that didn't seem necessary. So I've come out of the wardrobe onto my office. Awesome. I feel like I know your living room quite well oh, because yeah. a couple of months ago you sat for Jonathan Yeo over four hours yes. and um, he painted you for the um, isolation art school. Yeah. But has the um, has the experience given you a new appreciation for people who can sit still for a living? Uh, is there such a job? I, I suppose there's, there's, there's jobs where people have to stay sedentary in, in their chairs for long periods of time. Uh, I, and I am a bit of a fidget. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate everyone who works hard, but I, it's, it's certainly intriguing and, and, and fascinating to to sit for a portrait for someone, especially like Johnny Yo. You know, I'm very fortunate that I do have a few friends who are artists and mm. uh, and they're friends. And, and uh, um, it's not always you get to sort of see them at work, if you know what I mean. You know, your, yeah. your friends is sort of different kind of relationship. But but no, it was it was fascinating and and very exciting because he's he's very good at his job, but also to to sort of be part of that that grand experiment that he he designed uh, uh, around lockdown, you know, and and a desire and a need to to, to want to keep working and and, and create and um so when he said, look, I'm just, we don't know what we're doing, but we'll just do it. You get on a, on your FaceTime and I'll paint you at the other end, uh, you know, uh, in my studio. I just thought it was a, a fantastic idea. So, but yeah, it was, it was very exciting to be a part of. Is he giving you the portrait now or do you not get ownership of it for a very long time? Uh, yeah, he has. I don't actually have it here in my possession, but he has given it to me. Yes. Excuse me, I have a bit of a sniffle. Uh, but, but yes, I'm very lucky. That's part of the, 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 the bonus for me. I had to sit still for four hours, as you said, but... The end result was I got a portrait and, you know, um, that's always nice to have a picture of me. <laughs> okay, let's get down to business and head into the nostalgia zone. Okay. We first saw you in Bugsy Malone as Babyface, um, which has a whole load of nostalgia in itself. But today we're going to talk about Press Gang, where, of course, you played teen heartthrob Spike Thompson. Mm. And you were introduced to us mysteriously mm. as the guy that did that thing at the school dance. Mm -hmm. Every single person was like, that's Spike. Did you do that thing? Or did you really do that thing at the school dance? And and I don't think we ever found out what it was that he did, did we? Did, did you even know? I know, yeah. Well, what did he do? <laughs> I'm not telling you that. I can't tell you that. You'd have to, you'd have to talk to Stephen Moffat about that. I don't know if I remember now even, to be quite honest. I'm sure we discussed it at the time and it, we we decided it was a good thing to leave it as a mystery because it, you know, 
set up a character as, as someone who's bad but yet enigmatic, which I think was part of Stephen's brilliant writing device, um, which he's brilliant at doing, was was part of the, you know, the sleight of hand. But um, there was something that he did. I can't. It was enough to get him sort of in serious trouble and nearly expelled and booted down to the Junior Gazette. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm afraid I can't recall after all these hazy years that have floated by through the ether. It no longer, I no longer remember. So obviously we mentioned Stephen Moffat there, mm. who wrote all five series and obviously went on to, to run and write Doctor Who and Sherlock. Um, and it was the brainchild of his dad, Press Gang. Yeah. But for someone who'd been an English teacher up until that point, and he was like 26, 27. Yeah. Just the genius of his writing at that time. I mean, you know, there'd be cliffhangers and mystery and drama and dream sequences and comedy and all packed into the space of 25 minutes. Strong female characters. Yes, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. But, but, but all packed into 25 minutes. Yeah, no mean feat. You know, the man is an innate genius. And, and, and you know, when you add a genius to, to incredibly well-read and educated and, and hardworking and, and, and a little bit of geek thrown in as well, <laughs> and, and someone who's willing to use themselves and their experience and, and all their own sort of kind of insecurities and, or, or, or strengths and, and pour that all into every aspect of, of the show and all the characters, you know, I mean, Spike was his alter ego to a degree and, mm. and Kenny was, was sort of like him, you know, the part that Lee Ross played, you know, very organized and uh, nervous. And, um, and, and Linda was a kind of reflection of the producer of the show, a fantastic woman called Sandra Hasty, Sandy Hasty. Mm. And, and um, I think that was part of his genius is that he, he absolutely drew on, on the atmosphere that was on the set and the people that were there and 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 his and, and himself and and he's a genius and so even you know that that sort of formative time of his career we as as the people acting in that show had this incredible person putting these amazing words and thoughts into our, our mouths and minds so yeah that's just you know i don't think we knew at the time what it was we kind of thought it was great and we didn't know whether anyone would discover it or not mm. and I think it was a bit of a slow burn and it's become a bit culty I remember thinking at the time it was the most grown-up kids program on tv at the time and even the theme music to me sounded like it was an American cop show <laughs> maybe it was the saxophone um yeah yeah there was very yeah it was very unabashed but the, you know the topics tackled there was like drug mm. and child abuse and suicide and gun crime and did you really not kind of think, you know, at the time, you know, we're pushing the envelope with, with what we're making here? Um, I don't know if we, no, I don't think we did approach it like that. I, I think we just knew that, I mean, there was always the, we knew that we were slightly older than than the Grange Hill mob. You know, we were, we were meant to be the 16, mm. 17, 18 year olds who were just sort of stepping into the adult world and, and just really sort of like kind of kind of discover who they were as adults these young people mm. and very early on one thing I retained from the scant rehearsals that we did was that, that there was a determination not to talk down to the audience and I think that just meant that that we didn't literally didn't do that we didn't treat the audience like kids we just treated them like you know people because we thought the audience were going to be people of the age of the characters. And, and so you can't talk down to a 16, 70-year-old. Mm. They sniff it out very quickly and, and, and will turn off. 
Uh, and um, I think it was always a very clear idea that this is a show aimed at teenagers, but teenagers who are becoming people. And, and that's why it deals with things that teenagers are interested in, you know, relationships. You know, why Spike and Linda, and uh, you know, are so intriguing, I think, is because they're figuring it out. And I think a lot of young people at age were, were yeah. wanted to know about those things. How do relationships work? You know, and that's what the whole experiment <laughs> between those two was. And then there was all these other issues that were affecting young people were, were in there. And, and um, I, I think it, it was just... It, and, and that's why ad adults liked it as well, I think, because because it, it, um, it was very adult in its things, you know. It's a bit like the in-betweeners, you know, sorry, sorry, but, you know, the in-betweeners is interesting because it, it's dealing with the time between childhood and adult, you know, and, and, and although it's funny and ridiculous and kind of crazy, it is the sort of silly, crazy mistakes you make, but that's why adults, like, as they recognise having been there themselves, we're all in-betweeners at one point or, or, or young people, you know. The relationship between... Spike and Linda, mm. which I guess in itself was quite a, a complex relationship for kids' yeah. TV as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was almost like a, a Ross and Rachel relationship six years <laughs> before Ross and Rachel even existed. Um, but it was that kind of emotional heart that ran through the, the five series, really, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Stephen talked a, a lot about moonlighting in the beginning, which was like Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd was it? Uh, yes, it was, yeah. yeah. And I think that there was always that kind of like, oh, it's fun, will they, won't they, is it on, is it off? You know, that's always kind of fun and intriguing. But I think with the element added that I was just talking about earlier, you know, about these are young people trying to figure it out, how do relationships work? Mm. Um, you know, it's all well and good fancying someone or being in love with someone, but, but how does that really work? And I think that's what it, it continued to investigate throughout and why that, that kind of curiosity about that relationship probably endured through five series is that they never got it right, but they they but they wanted to, and everybody wanted them to get it right. But it's it's difficult, you know, yeah. and um, and it didn't shy away from that. And it's funny, and it's silly, and it's great, and it's terrible, and and it, and it just it explored all, all, all elements of it. Um, so I suppose Julia and I were very lucky in that respect that we had such a great, you know, relationship to 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 bounce off. Um, mm. you know. For me, watching it, I mean, I was nine when it first came on TV, but wow. um, from from nine into my early teens watching it, yeah. um, to have Linda as the editor mm. and be a character that was a real ball breaker mm. and ruthless and almost heartless mm. you know, as a female character mm. was something I hadn't really seen before and, and had you know a real impact on me. But do you think the show would have been just as loved and successful if the editor had been a guy, like exactly the same character, but just played by a guy? Uh, probably not, in all honesty, because I think it was what kind of set it out that there was this very strong female lead. Um, and I think what was maybe, a, re, re, well, not remarkable, what was different about it at that time is like, you know, what, she never needed saving. You know, she was never a damsel in distress. And all the stories that you get when your kids are is there's a girl in the tower and the prince comes and he saves her. You know, the mm. girls are always the damsel in distress who needs saving. And and this is complete nonsense, as we all know. Mm. But every story or every every sort of, you know, kind of movie or, or whatever it is, they're very rarely, maybe more in adult television it was moving that way. But certainly in, in a children's show, I don't know, I it, 
I'm just trying. I'm just trying to figure it out as well. You know, while you're talking about it, I, I mean, I don't think we looked at it as like, oh yeah, we got a really strong female league. That was the choice. That she was the editor. She was the boss, and mm. she made all the tough decisions. And she was the one who was capable and brilliant and smart and uh, and a little bit lonely. And you know, uh, and it was just that character happened to be female. It, it, it wasn't uh, sort of. Like we were trying to break down the doors of gender equality or anything. It, 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 for us, it was very normal and natural and, and, and it wasn't a big deal. And, and I suppose it's remarkable that it went so kind of unnoticed. But the thing is, I think for a whole generation of young women, maybe, it like yourself, it didn't. You went, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's someone I'm more like that person than I am, you know, Sleeping Beauty or whatever the fuck it is, you know, uh, excuse yeah. my language. But you know what I mean? And I think that that was... I don't know if that was intentional. I think that was more just like, you know, that that was that was the choice, and that's the reality of it. It's like it doesn't make a difference. You know? mm. But if you're capable of doing something, it's completely irrelevant <laughs> if you're a man or a woman. <laughs> and that's what the show brilliantly, and especially in something like creative, like journalism, you know, yeah, it, it's sort of it's a completely level playing field. It's about mm. ability. There was um, another element of the show that I loved that it was. I felt like it was a little bit like Scooby-Doo, where yeah. these teenagers would kind of expose and solve crimes yeah. that the adults had missed. Yeah. Um, and it was just missing someone saying at the end, you know, and I would have gotten away with it too if pesky. it wasn't for you pesky kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, it was that was the other great element of it, you know, is that, that, yeah, they were out there sort of being journalists, investigating stuff and, and looking for the things that other people have missed or, or would you know, too jaded or old to care about anymore, whereas youthful exuberance and enthusiasm made them go further. And, um, mm. yeah. Was it one of the first instances of seeing, like, the internet on TV as well? Was it? I think, yeah, because the guy, I can't remember his, um, Billy. Billy, yeah, yeah, the, the guy in the wheelchair, he, Andy Crow. Yeah, yeah. He, when he came in and it, he was like, you know, this hacker and then it was that's like. That's right, that's right. He'd been talking to us on the internet. I'm going to look on the internet that's now. Right. And it was like, wow, the internet in 1989, 1990. Like, wow, <laughs> technology. <laughs> yeah, it might well have been. I, I remember that Linda had a mobile phone as well. There's one episode where she's, she's trapped in a safe or something. Or yeah, she's trapped in a vault, somewhere. yeah. In a vault. She's got a mobile phone as well, which I look back now and I think, you know, wow. I mean, yeah, I suppose it was. It was very much of its time. I mean, if you look in the openings, we're all on typewriters. It's just a, it's desks full of typewriters and yeah. the whole music is ticka 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 ting. You know, it's the typewriter thing going. So it is, it is kind of of its time as well. Stephen Moffat recently said that you were all an outrageous bunch of party animals. Really? Um what what are, what are your outrageous? What are your enduring memories of of working on the show, either either on or off set, as outrageous party animals? Well, like any young people, you know, we 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 went out and and yeah, got up to no good from time to time, <laughs> and got drunk and stoned or whatever it is that young people do. Um, I don't know if we were outrageous party animals. I don't I don't know if we. Um, not when we were working, we weren't. Maybe in between bouts of work, we, we went on, you know, went out to clubs and all that mm. sort of stuff that you do. And But I don't think we, we were really outrageous. I, I think there's far worse <laughs> out there. But we, we certainly, you know, uh, took our work very seriously mm. and, and, and we were serious about the show. And there wasn't anyone who was falling into work drunk or stoned or or whatever it was you know that that was that would not have washed at all I think we were young and you know we wanted to enjoy ourselves but I I think comparatively speaking you know the show wasn't 
widely known. And we, it wasn't like, I mean, I, I do kind of feel a bit for, for, for the younger generation of actors now we're in these kind of popular shows because the media sort of eats them up really quickly. Mm. We, we were left relatively unmolested, you know, because the show was, a, you know, uh, deemed to be a, a small show. I don't know, the viewing figures were like 4 million or something, which is now is a lot, but, but back then it wasn't a lot. Yeah. And um, so, like I said, we sort of, it didn't sort of uh, propel us to, to celebrity status. It never sort of made us celebrities as such, which, yeah. is, which is a very difficult thing to navigate. And I think maybe that, that kind of recognition and, and focus maybe compounds the 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 need to uh, or, or the, the desire to escape more. Do you know what I mean? We we could sort of go yeah, about yeah. our daily lives and, and not and not be followed around by paparazzi or any of that stuff. No one no one really was interested, which was great. It was fine. We, it's not like we mm. were all sort of like looking to be famous. Um, so. But yeah, we, you know, we went out and did what young people do at that time. Of course, we did. And, but we were very serious about the work when it came. Mm. He was just jealous anyway because he wanted to go out and party more. He was. <laughs> he didn't party. I think he parties a lot now. <laughs> Making up for lost yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. He's making up for lost time now. He's wild. He's a wild man. He is. <laughs> a few months ago, uh, Stephen and. Julia said that they'd be up for revisiting Press oh, Gang, yeah. um, although Stephen said that he thought it was a big ask of an audience to pick up the characters again after 30 years. How do you feel about it? Maybe you could direct it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and be in it. And be in it at the same time. Yeah, and I could sing the theme tune as well. <laughs> like Dennis yeah. Waterman, yeah. Um, uh I think he's probably right. I mean, look, it'd be whether he felt he's got anything fresh or new to say with those characters or whether, you know, and I think he's probably right. I don't know. I think it's a fairly cult following that it has, but it it, it wouldn't mm. it wouldn't um it wouldn't break the TV viewing records to suddenly think, oh, the guys from Press Gang are back together. I mean, I I mean I would like to see it. I don't know if I'd like to be in it. I would like to see it. <laughs> no two ways about that. I mean, you know. Um, Paul Reynolds and Maluki Christie and Lee Ross and Kelda Holmes and you know Gabriel Anwar and Lucy Benjamin. I mean, the, you know the, the the cast list was was fantastic and um, yeah, it launched a lot of careers. Yeah, and and uh, you know it would be great to see all those guys, you know, back together and and um, but it's really that's Steve's call. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we we all probably be a bit nostalgic about it and. And if we can, you know, oh, great, you know, kind of uh, recapture some of our youth, that's all good. But that can end up very disappointing. Yeah, I, I went back to to a place I made a film many, many years ago. My teens, my wife, and sort of wandered around kicking stones and I felt myself getting depressed. And my wife said to me, whatever it is you're here looking for, it's not here anymore. And I said, well, what am I looking for? She said, your youth. You know, and and I think something like that would probably fall into the, that category. You know, it's a, it's a lovely notion, it's a lovely idea, uh, um, yeah. but the the reality of it is is probably a little bit disappointing. I think Stephen, mm, your um your wife is a wise woman. She is profoundly deep and wise. Yes, she is. She's very smart. You know what you want to do if you're going to bring press game back is you have Linda setting up the new generation of, you know, of young tearaways or, or over-keen students and not knowing and not understanding the technology. I mean, at least then you – because 
that shows very analog. You know that we mm. were right on the cusp of of the digital era. We didn't leap over. We didn't leap the the gap during the show. So if you can do anything, you're gonna you want to drag you know her into into the digital era, her analog ways of doing things. That would be interesting. But you'd need a whole new cast of young people who are very au fait with with the digital age and how that works and how that affects what they do. I mean, I think there's a, there's a call for it because the one of the most remarkable and gratifying things about Press Gang is that it's not unusual to meet journalists of a certain age who go, I do what I do because of that show, because sat somewhere. Me, that's me. <laughs> well, yeah, you go, you know, people sit down at a very, very early age and go, that is exciting and interesting to me. And it's creative and it's uses your intellect and your mind and, you know, it, it becomes, a, it's not a job, it's a, a vocation or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's something that you, it grows and progresses mm. and goes and, and moves and changes as you develop as a person. And, um, it's a career, do you yeah. know what I mean? It, 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 and, and that's important to, and that that's really gratifying. I'm sure Julia says the same. I'm sure she has the same experience that, that people say that. And, and, you know, like you say, particularly young women, maybe be like, oh, I can, I can do that. Why is it the bastion, you know, of men? It's not. And uh, yeah, so it just needs, it would need to be rethought, but I'm sure, you know, Steve's, I've done that. He's off creating worlds and universes and and, and new life forms. (laughs) Got to be, it's got to be rather exciting. (laughs) So now it's time to move out of the nostalgia zone and into the, what I call the latted zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. After Press Gang, you hosted yeah. Games Master for a year, um, <laughs> which is another show that I used to watch, and my husband was mm-hmm. a very big fan of it. We both both mm-hmm. gamers and I with Sega Mega Drives and Game Boys. But um, it wasn't a job that you particularly enjoyed. Uh, no, not really. I mean, you know, well, I was at a particular place in my own personal life that wasn't uh, the most fulfilled and happy. And, um, you know, looking back on it in retrospect, it, it was, it was indicative of, of, of how my own attitude towards myself and my career. So, so I obviously made that choice when I was unhappy, you know, in my own personal life. And mm-hmm. then so obviously that, that's what that represents to me. When I look at it, I just see myself at a point where I've kind of given up on, on any kind of, uh, uh, desires or, or belief personal belief you know you know in a career as we talk about you know you've got to have sort of a, a certain amount of self-belief it's important you yeah. not saying you've got to be arrogant but but you've got to have a certain so because there's tough times and you have to push ahead and push through them and and find ways of going okay this doesn't matter what's really important is what i set myself to be and i think that yeah. was just reflective of someone that i'd settled on being rather than who i chose to be if that makes sense, and and yeah. and and you know, settling for for the easiest and um, and least challenging option uh, is not is not conducive to making you go. I've really got something. So I'm just saying, when I look back, I go, God, yeah. I was unhappy, and I made a really bad choice because it wasn't acting. I, well, I don't know what I was doing, jumping around, talking about computer games that I really had no interest <laughs> in, just thinking about, oh my God, I you know, I need some money. And, and so I, I don't make decisions based on money anymore. But I guess it's um, it's fair to say it was it was quite a dark time of your life around that period. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what it reflects. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, and, and it's still, you know, no, your husband doesn't know that when he's watching it. He just watches it and goes, oh, I like this show. It's great. You know, which is it's fantastic. It's fine. It, it, it's just what it means to me personally is, 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 and that, and when I talk about that, that that's what I'm talking about. It, it, it's not to take away from the show or what it was or what it, it meant to people or what it did or, you mm. know, it, it's just for me personally, like, oh, well, that's an episode I could have done without. But at the same time, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I am now. So, you know, it's, mm. it's kind of, I have to be a little philosophical about it if I can be. And then it was a, um, a chance meeting with Alan Rickman mm. that helped turn your life around, mainly because he introduced you to your wife. <laughs> he did. He did indeed. He did indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd worked with Alan in the theatre when I was sort of 14 years old and in, in uh, one great summer in Sheffield. I was in a play in The Crucible, at uh, The Crucible, and, um, and Alan... You know, like really great, lovely people do. You know, they 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 find people that they believe in, and then uh, you know, or they whose talent or ability they they admire and champion. And uh, and I was very lucky that he chose to do that for me. You know, he didn't know me when I was very young, and I met him ten years later when I was twenty four, and I was in a bit of a mess. Yeah, mm. and I'd, I mean, and really that that mess was about about me giving up on wanting to be an actor or, or, or believing that I could be an actor. And and so I'd lost all my self-belief. And that's, you know, even as a director myself now, I see actors on the edge of that or going through that. And it, and, it, and it's 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 really, it's it's difficult because, you know, the, by its very nature, acting comes from a place about uncertainty and, 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 and lack of self-belief. But... Always talent, you know. It's a real, it's a real sort of dichotomy. And, and of course, the great thing, the thing about enjoying acting when you get to do it is to have confidence, self belief, because then it doesn't matter what people say. You, if you're enjoying it, and then you're good at it, and then it's irrelevant. What you know, but it's always tied up with someone who's incredibly insecure. So it's, it's this real sort of yeah. juggling act. But but that I find that fascinating and interesting. But I think I learned that from Alan really in the way that he treated me, the way that he nurtured me, which he did. Very much. Given your earlier life experiences, do you feel protective of the younger actors that you've worked with? You know, kind of be their Obi-Wan Kenobi to guide <laughs> them away from the dark side? Well, I didn't, look, there isn't that much of a dark side. The dark side is only what we what we put ourselves through. And I, and I, I do like to think that, that if I have some valuable advice and, you know, part of the part of the deal is, not the deal, but part of the things that you learn from, from being looked out for by someone like Alan is is that it goes around. It's not kind of like it ends there. You know, if I can do anything to to, to advise Taron, say for example, or, or or any other young actor that I work with that I think is is helpful or useful, I, I, of course I'm keen to do it. You know, if you someone made a huge difference in my life by just caring and and um, and it's it's not it's not difficult, you know. And so, yes, if if, I, if that opportunity arises, of course, I, I, I want to, I, you know, I, I, I love actors. I love acting. You know, I know what it's like to be one. I know what it's like to sort of get lost and be racked full of self-doubt. And I know what it's like to see people who are incredibly talented and not realise it. I mean, there's nothing, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you see it as well. Young people are like, uh, and you're like, but you've got this incredible talent and energy and enthusiasm and mind. Oh, I know, but I'm really worried. 
you know, it's kind of, if you can do anything to help take that away. I think that most people are like that, I think, generally. Yeah. You know, people like to talk about what they're good at or what their experience has covered. Then you you did a just a small, low-budget film, yeah. Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Bags. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did that, <laughs> yeah. It was low-budget. Um, which uh, yeah. kind of uh, kicked off your renaissance, really. Did it? Yes. In your, in your career. I suppose it did. It gave me a lot of street credibility that I had... I, I had squandered when I was doing Games Master. <laughs> no, uh, in terms of acting, it did. I, it did. It, yeah, I, and but before that, I think I'd done a Mike Lee film that I'd sort of been cut out of. Because what what happened uh, once I, I met Dahlia and I, and I worked in the, in a, a very small pub theatre in Islington. Mm. That, that was it. Kind of renewed my love and and rediscovery of acting as an adult. You know, as a child, I'd sort of just stumbled through it and, and um, used my innate charm to get through. But but uh, I'd never really studied or thought about acting as an adult. And, and But when I did the play with Dahlia, it completely, it sort of turned on a light in my head that, oh, this is amazing. And I need to, you know, do as much as I can to learn as much about acting as I've neglected. Mm. And and so uh, that was part of that journey. You know, it, it, it's, uh, I, I did, I worked with Mike Lee, which was was which was really amazing for me as well after Dahlia because of the way that he works, and then also with Guy uh, uh, on on Lockstock and and Lockstock nearly didn't happen you know I think we literally got a week before and half the money disappeared and and Matt Vaughan the producer phoned up and said look can you do it for half the money and it was no money anyway but then I had no money at that point anyway so half of nothing is still nothing so uh, uh, and, but I was just very keen to do the film because the script was so amazing, and and, mm. um, and I think that worked for everybody. But but yes, and, and, but that again, uh, no idea that it, it would do what it did or what would happen. That you know, it sort of became this sort of moment in '97 or whatever it was that you know Oasis were about and Cape Moss was about and you know Lockstock was about. It, it just sort of this thing was happening in 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 the UK and London, I suppose that that we just sort of were part of inadvertently. I don't think there was any. We never stood around and said, going, oh, this is really going to change things. This is amazing. It was just a good low-budget film that was funny. And yeah. um, um, we, we, you know, we got kitted out with suits by Oswald Boateng, I remember, and asked to do a fashion show. Me That's not going to help your budget. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. This was after the film. All right, the okay. film. Oswald Boateng gave Nick Moran and Jason Fleming and Jason Statham and me, gave us all a suit, and, but we had to walk up and down the catwalk for him. It was for his one of his shows, and, and the film had literally just come out and the four of us walked out and the place went absolutely bananas. <laughs> I remember all four of us standing there going, oh, my God, what, what's happened here? So, yeah, it was it was quite a moment. It, was very, it became very exciting, yeah. And then if you, we kind of like fast forward, I guess, about a decade later and you kind of fell into directing, really, mm. didn't you, with, yeah. with Wild Bill? Because it was just something that you wanted to write and then they were like, okay, so you're going to direct it. Like, okay, I'll do that. That's that's pretty much the story, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, 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 did, yeah, I did this TV show for a while. I did Hotel Babylon and that was good because that helped get me and Dahlia secure. You know, we eventually bought a home and, and that was important because we started with nothing. You know, literally, mm. when we got married was the week I went bankrupt, you know, so, wow. so this poor Lithuanian girl came all the, all the way over from Lithuania and, and married an actor who had just gone bankrupt. So we were we were certainly 
started with a disadvantage. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that kind of got us And then Hotel Babylon finished us. And I, and, I, and I'd always had this story in my mind for Wild Bill. And it was something I'd spoken to Bob Hoskins about when I was a kid, ironically enough, uh, as an idea for me and him. Um, and, and yes, I wrote it, gave, gave the script to the producer, Sam Tromans. And then she said, oh, and you're going to direct it. And I said, yeah. Oh, I realised that was the opportunity to get it made. And, and, and then, yes, that got nominated for a BAFTA. So. Suddenly my career went off in a completely different direction. Well, yeah, because, I mean, getting that kind of validation must be the moment where you think, actually, I'm pretty good at this. Well, uh, yeah, I'm still pretty bad at thinking I'm pretty good at it. I mean, maybe that's part of why I keep, you know, chugging away. I mean, you know, there's certain, certain yeah, when things like that happens, it's hard to deny. It's like, okay, this film works, people like it, and get, get that sort of response. And, yeah, and... and that age, you know, what was I, 45 then or something? I, I, you know, yeah, I felt I'd been around for a long time. You know, I started acting when I was six. So it was mm. like 40 years in and to be at BAFTA and be nominated and um, for my first film was, yeah, I, I, it was, it was quite a moment. You know, there's, there's light bulb moments, you know, that, that happen. And, and that was certainly another one for me that, like, Okay, and then that's what, you know, is interesting to me about a career or a job. A career allows you to change lanes and still keep pushing the envelope and still keep challenging yourself and mm. and changing the nature of what it is that you do, but still stay within the same kind of uh, world. Mm. Uh, and, and, and my 40 years of acting has allowed me to step through a door that was, uh, that was more open than I realised. Of course, I had to deliver, but... But that opportunity was there, and 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 I'm I'm very pleased that I took it and took it the way that I did it. I, you mm -hmm. know, because uh, it was very exciting to me. So, uh, and it and it's had and it's paid dividends because here I am, you know, four films later, and and um, yeah, my, my life's I don't feel any different, but it is different. You know, I, I a whole new chapter in my life. Yeah, I mean, going from directing small budget films and then obviously Sunshine on Leith to Eddie the Eagle, Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man. Yeah. Was there a big yeah. learning curve for you? And I, and I can imagine it can be quite intimidating kind of having that kind mm. of very quick kind of expansion, if you like, that could probably lead to a bit of imposter syndrome when you're, when you're on a set. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely that. But, but you know, no one cares about that, you know. That, that, that's Except you, you care about so, Yeah, yeah, I do. My, my, my wife, I can chat to her about it. She's like, yeah, go to work, no one cares. All they want is answers. They don't want your, your personal issues. It's not relevant, you know, that you... To them, what you're worrying about doesn't, it is completely non-existent. So, yes, and you do, you know, you lay there at night looking at the ceiling going, I can't, and I do, I, my milk, I can't do it, I don't know, I, I, and then you get over it and you get on with it and then you find that you can do it. And then so, um, or you might make some mistakes, but you realise they're mistakes and you vow to try and find a way to rectify them or not make those mistakes again. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the nature of making a mistake. Mm. You learn from it. And if you can't, then, you know, it's difficult. But, um uh, yeah, there's a bit of that goes on, but you know you've got to get over it quite quickly because, like you say, the stakes are higher. Mm. And 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 when and when Elton John and his husband have an issue about something, there's, there's that's really to do with their entire life and music catalogue yeah. and legacy and history. It's like you know, me me having self doubt is really irrelevant in the grand scheme yeah. of things, and, and and that's a very hard thing to get through for anybody. I shouldn't make, but, but you know. The sun comes up the next day, so you've mm. got, you know, you, you kind of get on with it. With all the films 
you've directed, I'd I'd argue that the thing that makes them stand out yeah. is that they all reflect you in some way in that you've drawn from your personal experiences um, and brought them to the screen. And you're really skilled at highlighting the human connections and emotional and personal relationships between people. And um, whether that's Thank between you. parent and child mm -hmm. or husband and wife or friends or lovers. But no. I was wondering how, because your next couple of films are going to be big Hollywood tentpole mm -hmm. action movies, you know, mm -hmm. Sherlock um, Three and The Saint. How, how or if you're planning to bring those same kind of qualities to those films, which I imagine could be quite challenging in that genre. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, that's, that is part of the challenge and that's part of, of, of why I'm kind of, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm keen to have a bigger canvas and bigger scale and, you know, uh, and resources, uh, which of course, as soon as you realise, you know, what it is that you're taking on, the resources, although seemingly bottomless, are not enough. But that's another debate. But I think... I think for me it is there's human story. As long as there's people in the film, there's going to be a human story and there's going to be a relationship there. And 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 it may not always be apparent, but that's part of my job as the director is to find what's the story here. What's what's how, how do I how do I tell the story that I understand and connect and relate to? And it will be in there. It's just there's going to be other stuff around it as well. And um, that is the challenge to to find where those things lie. And maybe with Sherlock, it's about friendship, you know, which is, uh, you know, if you could have just reduced it down, what's the human element? You know, it's incredible friendship and um, at the heart of it. And so how do I explore that within all the other action that's got to happen? What's going on in the, di in the dynamic of that relationship? You know, the saint is about, about someone realising there's something that they're not and trying to become something else. You know, that's something I can relate to my own life as well. And if I can find those moments where I where I elaborate or elucidate or that, or just look at that in storytelling terms, that hopefully will give those characters that that relatability and that and and that and that recognition. Because I I, I yeah, I, I you know, I do what I don't no, some filmmakers just want to make the action. That's and that's great. That's you know, but but because of the background, my acting background, which is all about relationships, press games, all about relationships. You know, mm. Wild Bill is about relationships. Is that that's what I understand best. That's what I'm always going to be looking to. It would always be the hopefully the 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 heart of of what these films are. And if I can do it in the middle of a big action movie, and people go, "Well, I enjoyed that ride," and I really felt good for those people, or bad or whatever yeah. then then i've then i then i've achieved something which is what i'm keen to explore and, and i may fall on my face doing it but at least i gave it a go yeah. i haven't done it yet anyway so. i imagine covid has scuppered some of your plans it's delayed them yeah it's certainly how's sherlock going so far <laughs> oh sherlock's hit yeah hit, hit its own its own issues uh, um on and off you know um that that that's uh that's sort of sitting on the back burner at the moment for, until, you know, it mm -hmm. becomes clear where the world is at and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And the same with the same, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pushing ahead with both of them. Um, and that's, that's always part of the challenge. The, the, the saint, I don't know, the saint might happen first. I don't know. It's hard to say. It, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're both up against the same dilemma, you know, the same issue that we all are, that, 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 that how do you get, large groups of people together to create something. 
and and yeah. then shift them all around the world and um, and you know what do you do with actors who are in a love scene? You know, uh, it's it's complicated. Even <clears throat> sexting. That's that's yeah. That's it. Sherlock did a lot of sexting. <laughs> it was all over with parchment though and, and pigeons. But it, it definitely happened. Um, I get a sense from you that because you've had this roller coaster career going from success to almost losing it all and then skyrocketing to become highly regarded Hollywood director now, that you just seem genuinely grateful and excited about everything. And, I mean, to quote Talking Heads, you know, are you thinking you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself, how, how, how did I, I get, get here? here? Yes, yes. Dahlia and I do often have those moments. <laughs> I, the one she talks about is the one where I woke up in Cannes. Because because with Rocket Man, which was just last year, um, I literally finished the film on the Thursday sort of thing, and and by uh, and and then by the Wednesday we were in Cannes, in the Carlton Hotel, waking up in the main suite because that's what studios do. They're publicising you your film, and they want to make it look as flash as when they and they and and we had an amazing night, and there was a party on the beach, and Elton John played, and Taron sung, and and. Um, and our friends were there, and 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 it was extraordinary. And then I woke up the next morning, and I said, "How the, how did I get here?" How did, and she just laughed, you know. And 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 we do, yeah. It's part of the, you know, it is part of the the amazement of it. I think that's maybe it is still new to to us, really. I've not done a big publicity tour like that before in all my years of acting, and I don't pretend I I'm used to it. I'm excited. Mm. I love it. It's you know what's not to love, and um, uh, but. But I don't take it for granted. That's, I think, maybe the one thing that I have I, that, that, that my roller coaster has kind of allowed me to understand. It's, you know, uh, yeah, this industry has a short memory. If you do something bad, it has a short memory. If you do something good, it has a short memory. And, 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 there's a, and it's good if you're just sort of into living in the now, which is what we all kind of aim for. But, but you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's great that you did that and that it was successful. Now, what are you going to do? Mm. Or now, what can I do? Now, what can I do? Now, what should I do? And, and keep moving forward. And or damn, that happened and it didn't work. Now, what do I do? You know, you can't. Mm. Oh, not for me anyway. And and yeah, we do. We we look at our flat and we go, it's amazing. We love our flat. It's really great. <laughs> you know, because we did. We literally when we got married, we, I'd gone bankrupt. We had nothing. We lived in a in a in a flat in in, uh, in on the Harrow Road that was a sublet. From a housing association, and 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 Alan Alan Rickman came round and went, oh my god, and and then <laughs> and then two days later he sent round the carpeting people, and they and he paid for the whole place to be recarpeted. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it was nice. It was like a, you know he's out. We called him our godfather, our fairy godfather. He uh, you know he did. He yeah he you know but but we knew that that was an extraordinary and amazing thing. We didn't mm. take that you know. Um, and um, so we learn a lot of valuable lessons from people like that mm. and experiences like that. Um, last question. Directing a film can take up kind of like pretty much two years of your life, really, mm. Um, mm. and you've got a pretty full roster coming up. And I do, yeah. You just appeared in a really great episode of I Hate Susie with, with Billy Piper. I haven't seen it. Which looked great fun <laughs> to film. Yeah. She's amazing. <laughs> But She's does great. this mean you haven't seen the episode you've been in yet? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, you should 
check it out. It's very funny. Is it good? <laughs> it's very funny. I was funny, a bit worried yeah. about it. It all took me back to those dark old days. But does this mean that we're unlikely to see you acting for a while unless you break your own rule of starring in one of your own films? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no, look, I, you know, the, the lovely people from I Hate Susie just made me an offer and said, look, there's a couple of days here, there's this guy, there's this thing, and I just, I love Lucy Preble, big fan of hers, and 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 Billy, I think, you know, is one of the great underrated actresses of her generation, and I'm, that, I'm sure that's mm. about to change, but, but you know, she's a phenomenal theatre actress as well. And yeah, um, award winning, yeah. Uh, Irma. And uh, so I was like, Yeah, I mean, I didn't quite know what I was getting into, if in all honesty, I sort of got a brief kind of you know, I was an old washed up actor who's from a sci fi show, and I thought it was a good opportunity to take the piss out of myself, you know. It's and, and she, they're great, I'm just going to hang out with these cool people making a, a TV show, and then um, I found out I had to get them to all sorts of shenanigans, which was you know, fine. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it would make the final cut, but apparently it has. People keep talking to me about when I'm down in her nether regions while she's <laughs> up to no good up the other end. Uh, which you barely touched her, apparently. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you can't get her. You can't do that. Uh, no, I mean, it was very but, – but, I mean, I, actually, I've got to say, I, I spent most of the day just marvelling at her um, and because I, I was I – was, yeah, seriously, seriously impressed by how she works and what she did, and mm. um, I kind of rode on the coattails of that. Really, if I'm if I'm honest, is how I feel about it. But no, if someone offers me something that's fun and I can go and do it, and I I, I go and do it. Uh, what was the other one I did? Double Date. There's a film, funny little horror film called Double Date, where I ended up playing um, Michael uh, Sucker's dad. It's quite funny bloke who lives in a caravan. I just I just enjoy it, doing these things that have little if no responsibility towards the grand scheme of things, <laughs> when I'm just sort of playing some sort of larger-than-life character. I'm like, that's that's fine, fun for me, but I I don't think I'll, I'll um, yeah, until I get off. I, I did it with Margot Robbie and, and um, Simon Pegg in a film called Terminal mm. a few years ago. I suddenly offered me a very big, lovely part, and, and that was just after Eddie, I think. Was it just after Eddie the Eagle? Maybe before. Anyway, yeah, I suddenly, you know, occasionally it happens. I get offered acting bar, I'll go and do it if I can, if I'm free. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing you more on screen as well as well, uh, the directing. Well, hopefully you will, both. <laughs> Dexter, thank you so much. You I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you taking the time to no reminisce with me today about Press Gang. Um, thank you. Long may your success continue. Well, thank you very much. And yours too. Huge thanks again to Dexter for joining me. I really appreciate him being so open and honest talking about his life, and I'm sure you'll agree he's a thoroughly lovely chap. If you'd like to relive Press Gang, there's a link in the show notes for where you can grab a DVD copy. As ever, hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you for choosing this one. If you'd like to get in touch to say hello, you can find me on Instagram at Celebrity Catch-Up Podcast or on Twitter at Celeb Catch-Up Pod. 
And if you'd like to support the show, please share it with a friend or leave a rating or a review. You can also buy me a coffee if you'd like. Find out more in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.